intended this to be a one-shot deal, and this is lesson number six on eight things to remember during tough times, and tonight, tough times can produce positive life change. Uh, you say, well, why, do, why does God, why, does, why is the, are the scriptures so full of, um, of um, notations saying that we're going to go through a tough place, and that the tough place can actually help us, and the answer to that is the number one manifestation of the sin nature in all of us is self-centeredness. Yes or no? So the more self-centered you are, the more you focus on you, then the less Jesus has control of you. Is that true? In fact, that thing I bummed up on Sunday morning, all of God, none of me, less of God, more of me, none of uh, all of God, none of me, right? I got it backwards again, didn't I? At any rate, you get the idea. So, 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 so the whole reason, perhaps the whole reason for going through challenges in life is to help us to challenge ourselves not to be so, as they say in South Carolina, so cotton-picking, self-centered, right? And to focus on uh, Jesus and others and put myself last, would you think? So anyway, I just want to, uh, as I go further here tonight, Let's uh, recap just a bit. Our character is for, formed in the tests and hard places that we endure in life. And the truth is, if you want to be used by God, you got to be willing to go through some challenges. 1 Peter 5.10, But after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory through Christ Jesus will restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. So... Um, there are eight points to this. I've gotten through, uh, I think, five, and we'll get to the sixth one tonight, and maybe the seventh one we will see. We have mentioned we're not immune from hardship, and there are two kinds of suffer suffering. Uh, differentiate in that in your mind. Jesus uh, substitutionally suffered for us. That is, he became our sin. And Isaiah 53 and other related passages reveal that when Jesus became our sin, he also took our sicknesses and illnesses on his body so we could experience divine health, yes or no? And that's a great thing. Now, I have a podcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays, MitchHorton.com, and uh, I'm right in the middle of talking about um, uh, the healing covenant that God has provided for us and how to receive healing from the Lord. And so it's a long, long podcast series. Uh, last, I did this uh, several years ago, and I think it was 51, 52 podcasts. It's following the same vein this time, so it's taken a while. So all of the guts of that are in that, but I said all that to say God does not test us, try us, and produce hardship in us by making us sick and ill. Understand that. And also with calamities, disasters, mishaps, car accidents, maiming, hurting, all that. That's not God's plan. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Differentiate it. But there's nothing in Scripture that says we're immune from the difficulties 
of life in a fallen world. In fact, Jesus uh, substitutionally bore our sins and our illnesses and that kind of thing but and broke the power of the enemy off of our life. But what Jesus cannot uh, endure for us is the hardships and challenges that life in the dark world bring, right? So we just got to understand that. And he left, left an ex- us an example of how we should follow in his steps when challenging times come. Second point that we have covered, our journey through life is often filled with hard places. John 16, Jesus said, New Living Translation, I've told you this, so that in me you may have peace. Here on earth you will have many trials. And New Living Translation says sorrows. But take heart, or King James says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Number three, sometimes God allows us to go through a hard place. That is, he on purpose allows our path to wander into a difficult spot like Jesus after he was baptized by his first cousin John. And uh, he went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. And the enemy attacked him and challenged him. And, uh, and so he went, he went into a really hard place. Sometimes God will lead you. Jesus was led by the Spirit into a hard place. And sometimes you're in the thick of a place you don't want to be. And I know it sounds weird, but sometimes it's the will of God. We gave the illustration that God mentioned in Deuteronomy 32, dealing with the Israelites, the children of Israel, his covenant people in the old covenant. Uh, when God was seeking to haunt their character, he compared uh, what he was doing with them to what an eagle does with her little baby eaglets. They, she knocks them off the nest over and over again. They plummet to the ground thinking they're going to die, only to be at the last moment rescued by mama so that they can learn to flap their little wings that are growing and so that the wing muscles can grow because sooner or later, she will not be able to feed them. And friends, if we don't learn to exercise our faith in the challenges of life, there'll come a time that mama's prayers will no longer work. Friends' prayers will no longer work. God expects you to stand on your own two spiritual feet. Yes or no? Just be aware. Number four, our response to challenges determines what the tough times produce in us. And so I've said this. I think about this on the inside of me a lot. I've said it many times. What life finds in us determines what life does to us. So see, our response is, is, uh, is determined by what's inside, not by what's on the outside, right? So you got two people going through a similar challenge or conflict, and you've got two different responses, and the response is based on what you got inside. One person gets bitter, the other person gets better. What's the difference? It's what's inside. So see, I have to ask myself, if I'm bitter, what's inside of me? Or what did I not let take root in my heart that should have or could have so that when I'm going through a hard place, I don't hit rock bottom? So if your chin, I've had my chin hit the ground. I know what it feels like, you know. And life is, just has a way of surprising us, doesn't it? And, you know, you hip, hip, hooray, everything's going my way one day. And the next, the next day, you're picking your chin up off the ground. And you say, what on earth happened? That's the way life is. And life deals low blows to us on a fairly constant basis. So do you see the cup half full or do you see it half empty? Are you a victim or are you a victor? And so I'm going to read this because I like it. James 1, 2, Philip's translation says this, When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome, welcome them as friends. 
You mean you want me to welcome a hard place as a friend? Well, hello, hard place. Hello, aggravations. Hello, difficult times. Ah, come on in. I'm just, let's have a party today. Yeah, right. You're crazy. No, that's what he said. Welcome them as friends. Realize they come to taste your faith and produce in you quality of endurance. So number five, God will make a way for you. You got to know this. You got to have hope that when the going gets tough and that you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, that somehow God's going to make a way for you. And there's two ways primarily that we keep our hope going. Number one is through the Word of God. I mentioned this last time I spoke. I think it was last week. And, uh, you know, God gave me in a very difficult time over 30 years ago when I really, honestly, I was so pressured I wanted to end my life. I hope you never face a time that you no longer want to live because you can't see any light in the future. I hope that never had, did happen to me one time. And uh, it was a very dark place for me. And the Lord rescued me from that. The Holy Spirit literally buoyed up inside of me and said, get up. And that's what I've shared with you a couple of times during these, uh, these um, uh, lessons is that I, he, he gave me a number of scripture. And those scripture presented hope to me that though I was in a hard place right now, that God would get me out of it. So I, all of that is in, all of it's on, in the notes. It's on the pod. It's on the um, information that we have shared on Wednesday nights. And I encourage you to get a hold of that. The second way that God encourages us is through friends. How many know friends are important to you? How many know Ephesians, Ecclesiastes 4 talks about a threefold cord not being easily broken? Two are better than one. If, you go, if you're hoofing through life alone and you don't have anybody to encourage you, that's a very difficult place. And that's why we have the family of God, right? That's the reason we have small groups. That's the reason we gang together. Uh, we got a band of brothers here. We get together every Tuesday, men at 6.30. And so we're not loners and we're not going through our stuff alone. And I encourage you. The word will encourage you, but you need other people by your side to let you know that life is not over yet. God's not through with you yet. And things are, God's going to make a way, right? So we have talked about that. And tonight, number six, on eight things to know about tough times is tough times can produce positive change in you. And I've shared that in various ways over the last number of weeks that I've shared this, but I want to share various translations of this first scripture here because this first one's uh, at first when you read it a bit shocking, but when you understand that the whole purpose that God allows you to go through a hard place. A hard place is a place that uh, where you don't get what you like, you're not doing what you want to do, you're not with people maybe you want to be with, uh, may, maybe all of the definitions of what fun and nice are, uh, to, are to you are absent at that period of time in life. How many get what I'm saying? So, you know, if you may be there, and all of us get there sometimes, but we may be there in various ways tonight. Understand that if you do this thing right, it'll make you better. And just listen to Romans 5. I've got several translations here. The first one is the Passion Translation. It's a recent translation of Scripture. What he tried to do is take the nuances of, um, of um, Greek in the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old. And the problem with translations of Scripture is they're, they're just elements of translation that are impossible with a one-word translation. And that's what, for instance, this King James tried to do, 1625, the authorized version. And because it makes it simple and concise, that's good. But there's still, there's just shades of meaning that are left out. The Passion Translation, let me talk about this second. Uh, he, he's trying to put emotion into what's being said so that you not only 
not only read it, but you feel it. And so, because that's in there, uh, Hebrew is a very colorful language, picture language, and Greek is a very expressive, very colorful language too. And, and uh, English, not so much. So anyway, Romans 5, Passion Translation, verse 3 through 5. Uh, but that's not all he says. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character. And proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And what he's saying is when you're going through a hard place and you trust God and he gets you through it, it, you just buoy up with God. I knew you'd take care of me. And it just makes you even more confident than you ever were before. How many have had that happen to you? So, you know, just, just be aware of that. Uh, pressure will develop patient endurance. Pa past five years, this is the most difficult thing I have ever done. Building this building out here, probably because we're ministering to families and ministering to children. And the world is going the diametric opposite of where we're going with this school. How many hear me? and with our care for the children. And I mean, the enemy's raised his ugly head every way he could. But you know what? Now, five years later, that started 2018. We're done in 2023. I can look back and uh, I, I am not the same person. I, I'm just not. Uh, I didn't have any hair when it started, and I still don't have any hair. Um, but you know what I do have? I've got, a, I've got just a confidence in God that he always comes through. And it's, uh, it's cemented in me this knowing that if God's promised something uh, to us in his word, he will bring it to pass regardless of how long it takes. And, and in the process of that, it changed me, how I deal with people, what I think about myself, and how I deal with difficulty. And I'm very grateful to the Lord. How many hear me? You should feel that way in your life as well as you go through uh, challenging places. Message paraphrase, let me mention a paraphrase is not a translation. A paraphrase tries to take the gist of what the Holy Spirit has said in a passage. And a paraphrase puts it in words that are very understandable to perhaps a particular culture. So the message by Eugene Peterson is a paraphrase of Scripture. It's not a translation. And I, use, I read paraphrases, you know, along with my Bible reading, but I usually don't read a paraphrase as my Bible reading. Does that make sense? I use a translation for that. So understand the difference. So again, Romans 5, through, there's more to come, he says. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forge, forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In a in alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. So I like that, that uh, paraphrase. And here's the amplified New Testament of that same passage. And the amplified actually takes the nuances of meaning from the Greek language, for instance, that aren't translatable and and adds, adds words in brackets to bring clarification. So he says, moreover, let us be full of joy now, exclamation. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings. And, you know, when he's saying that you want to say, will you just be quiet? I don't feel that way right now, you know. Knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving 
endurance. And endurance or fortitude develops maturity of character, that is, approved faith and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope in eternal salvation. Then Romans 8, uh, 28, a, a familiar uh, passage of Scripture, often quoted, sometimes out of context, Amplified says this, We are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor, all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to those who love God and are called according to His design and purpose. I like the Amplified when it says everything's fitting into a plan for good. Right now it may not look good. What you're going through is hard as as, as hard as rocks, but you know what? On the other side of it, there's something working for your best in your life. In fact, I've shared over the number of Wednesdays I've talked about this, how some of the most difficult times in my life really took some things out of my character that needed to so I could do what I'm doing today. And I would not be able to be here as pastor of Victory Church today had I been through those seemingly impossible things, but see, they hone things out of me. And that's what Romans 8.28 brings out. Message paraphrase of this verse, Romans 8.28 says, that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Passion translation translates it. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers and have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Don't forget, Joseph, you know, thought his world had ended when his brother sold him into slavery because they were upset because he was the favored child of his mother and father. And uh, they took his coat of many colors and, you know, put animal blood on it and told, him, told his mom and dad that an animal killed him. And uh, he was sold into slavery and he thought his life was over and spent the next 13 years in prison, but he became the prime minister of Egypt, my goodness, and saved his whole family. And I can tell you what you think is awful right now, you'll look back years from now and say, man, that was awesome. I don't ever want to go through that again, but my, 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 did that change me. How many hear me? I'm telling you, it's amazing how it works. Uh, Romans 8.18 says this, Yet what we suffer now is nothing to be compared uh, to the glory he will reveal to us later. Passion translation of that verse 18 and verse 19, I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Let me tell you what I do. I often sit back, you know, uh, keep life in perspective. Uh, come out from walking on the ground and get up in the bird's eye view. And, I, and every, you ought to do this several times a week. I do. And think about what you're going to be like next year, five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, 100 years from now. None of us going to be here. <laughs> You're going to be in your eternal award, reward and award, right? So, so, so what I do now, I know it's a challenge. It determines my placement in eternity and how much of the glory of God shines on my life. So as grueling as it may be now, it's always good to take the bird's eye view and say, you know what, one of these days, all this is going to be over. And, and I look back and say, I went through that, but thank you, Lord. I'm shining today, right? 
That's what he's saying there in that verse. So, and then lastly, for 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, New Living. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And Eugene Peterson's paraphrased message says, we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us there's four more here that meets the eye the things we see now are here today gone tomorrow but the things we can't see now will last forever so isn't that awesome uh seventh point i'd probably end with the seventh point tonight in the tough place now this is really important and i have learned i did not do this i didn't understand this when i first came to the lord but i understand that in the tough place it's important to pull your heart out to god and you know, it's according to what kind of family, your environment you're raised in. Um, in my teenage years, because I, I came to, you know, I was raised in Southern Baptist Church, went to church three times a week and more. We had a little revival services in that church I attended. But, um, you know, I became a teenager, got into the drug place, drug scene and all that. And I've talked about that enough. But, uh, you know, I just left all my spirituality, if I had any behind with all that. And, uh, but I, I, I learned to be quiet and not reveal myself. I was not self-revealing. And so as I aged and, and went from single-digit to double-digit numbers in my teenage years, I just closed up. You know, I closed up like a little flower closes up at night. And I wouldn't talk to anybody about anything. When I came to the Lord, I, you ever had a, an emotional knot in your throat? And it just can't get rid You can't swallow it away. You know, you can't eat it away. You can't work it away. That knot's always, it's got this emotional thing. Y'all ever felt that? Well, when I came to the Lord, I had this emotional knot because I was upset with me because of how I had lived. I was upset with other people because of how they treated me. I was upset with, with where I was raised and what I was doing and how, how my life was going. And when I came to Jesus, when I came to him, every uh, it's like the puzzles, pieces of the puzzle of life begin to fit, fit together. And I understood why I had obstacles and why I had challenges that I didn't think I deserved as a child and as a teenager. And, and when I came to the Lord, he, he really showed me that he loved me. And I kind of stumbled up on this, uh, this pressure knot thing, so to speak, was so strong. I said, God, I don't know what on earth. I got born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. I talked about being baptized with the Holy Spirit this past Sunday. And, you know, I'd pray and I'd pray in the Spirit. And, and I was still living in my parents' home because I was going to college. And uh, we had a college in our hometown a junior college and a regular, another uh, college. And, um, and then I started going to Bible school after that. And, uh, but when I first came to the Lord in 1976, I found myself, here's what I found. I, I, I was inside. You ever just been so emotionally knotted up that you just didn't know what to say? And I would be reading, honestly, I would read particularly like passages like Romans 12 uh, because it talks about your relationships. Ephesians 4 I love Ephesians 4. It really helped me. It, it ministered to me. And it talked about, uh, you know, be cl being close to the Lord. It talks about a person whose heart is hard. And then it talks about giving all that up and 
putting off the old person and putting on the new person. Then I would read Colossians 3. And, and they're just, so, so uh, uh, Romans 12, um, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, the whole chapter. I just read Colossians 3 this morning. I got blessed. I didn't want to quit. It was so good. And then 1 Peter 3, all of those passages, for some reason, I just read them over and over. And I found myself, listen to what happened. I, I said, God, this is, this is just like really amazing. I don't have any of this in my life. I need your help. And I found myself on my face, no kidding, literally on the floor. I had a piece of carpet right at the end of my bed, in my bedroom at home. We had hard floors, and I had a piece of carpet there and a rug. And I get on that rug, and I say, God, I don't know what's wrong with me inside, but you want... You need to do something in me. And I found, I found his word. If I, the best way I can describe it, when I read those passages that I just mentioned, it's, it's, like, it's like the word was like, a, it was, like a, it was like a candle. It was like a, a flame. And my insides were wax. And as I read, God would deal with me. He would deal, deal with me about self-centeredness. He would de- deal with me about deceitfulness. He would deal with me about my attitudes or towards others, my words towards others, my demeanor, my motivations. And I found myself on the floor, and I would say, God, I, I, I didn't know I was that way. God one day dealt with me, for instance, about malice. I was so full of malice, I never knew what malice was. Malice is the desire that bad things happen to people who do you wrong. I mean, you just soon didn't get in a wreck or have a bad disease and die. That's awful to think that way. I was filled with malice. I wanted bad things to happen to people who didn't treat me right. That's awful. But it was inside of me. And, you know, when I came to Jesus, that was still in my soul. He, he released it from my inner person, my spiritual nature. I became a new creature. But in my soul, there's a wrestling match. Maybe that's the reason for the knot. But he, uh, one day he showed me, he said, Mitch, you, I was reading Ephesians 4, you know, verses uh, 30, 31, 32, you know, and it talks about getting rid of malice. And one of the words there is malice. And I said, God, I didn't realize I had it in my life. And I said, and then, and then uh, uh, people came up to mind. This person said this, this person did that, this person didn't honor their word, this person didn't treat me the way I thought they should have. My mama said that, my daddy didn't. Yeah, I know, that kind of stuff. And I began to pour my heart out to God, things that bothered me, things that troubled me. And you know what? A little bit at a time, as I'd go to that little place right on the floor, I'd say, God, i got to talk to you again today because this is happening. You brought this up. I was reading the Word. This came up. And I would just talk to him about me. And you know what happened? Little bit by little bit, that emotional knot left. And the peace of God came into place of it. And I learned that, you know, you, the, the worst thing you can do when you're in a tough place is hold yourself up and never talk to anybody, even the Lord, about it. Now, you know, let me say this on the other part of this is I teach faith really strong and I teach the promises of God. And you've heard me do that here if you've been here any length of time. And, and we should trust the integrity of the Word of God, right? And I spent four Sunday mornings this summer talking about faith and what it looks like and how it works. And one of the, one of the um, ingredients of faith is proper words. If you're in faith, your words are going to be faith words, right? Now, you can take that to the extreme and never say anything that sounds like pessimism, doubt, or discouragement. Now, listen, here's the difference. I walk by faith. I trust God's word. But if something bothers me, I go to a place that nobody can hear me. 
And I say, God, I've got a problem and I don't know what to do with it. And I'm deeply bothered by this. And I pour my heart out. I mean, I've had such disappointment. I've had friends turn their back on me because their family member didn't like me in our church. Did you know that? Over the years. Uh, you'd never know anybody I'm talking about. I mean, it's nobody anytime recent either. But uh, those kinds of things, things that grab your emotions, things that grab your mind, you've got to let them go. You can't let them fester, right? And you've got to be honest with God about what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And when you're in a hard place, maybe right now, say you're at a job and nobody's listening, nobody's understanding. The boss is oblivious to your issues at work. And, and you feel like you're not being effective and you even feel like you're being overlooked. See, those are the kind of hardships that sometimes we face. Or it may be a family situation where you're not understood in the home. It may be a spouse. It may be You may be dealing with a wayward child. It's uh, just... It's really tough, and they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and oh, it's tough. Or it might be family members who have rejected you, or friends, or et cetera. And now we're, you know, living in a post-COVID world, and it's weird right now. Everybody's against each other. Is that true? See, that's a place you got to go to God and say, Lord, I'm completely bothered. All right, and and that's a place to vent. So pour your heart out to God means venting to Him. He wants you listen. You're going through a tough place. God wants you to expose your personal pain. And so you got to, you know, that's the other side of the coin of faith. One side of the coin of faith is I believe the promises of God. I say what God says, but it's not a facade. It's very real. The other side of that coin is if I'm in an aching place and the circumstances are producing personal emotional pain and mental turmoil, and relational issues for me. i got to find a way to vent that somewhere. And y'all, the best person I've ever vented to is God, my Heavenly Father. And I have come to know God. Listen, He is like, He's not a, he's not a Santa Claus God. No, He's a loving, caring person, personality, who hears everything you're thinking before you think it. Who knows every nuance of thought that you have about every single thing in your life? Huh? He knows every, he knows all of my motives. He knows why I do what I want to do. He knows what I'm going to do before I do it. And he knows what's messing with me. And see, I take that knowledge into this place and I get alone. And I say, God, I, you got to help me because I'm, I'm deeply, deeply troubled. And sometimes I use really colorful words because I'm just hurting. You ever done that? I mean, I don't like to tell you that, but I just know my father. And I've had times to say, well, you don't need to be talking like that, but I hear your heart. I said, thank you, sir. And then I repent. So, you know, you got to take everything to him. Again, heat brings impurities to the top with precious metals and the heat of life. When you're going through a tough circumstance, will bring the challenges that you sense right to the surface of your personality, what you think about yourself, your personal stuff, how people treat you, your circumstances, it may be your job, your business, maybe your finances, it may be your relationships on all the varying levels. For me, listen, let me tell you what's happened. So over the years, uh, some huge challenges that I've personally faced, and you will have different ones. Um, some of the big things for me was uh, perfectionism. Everything had to be just right or I was unhappy. If you're living with a perfectionistic person, you bless your heart. You have a difficult life. 
And so I've been married to my wife this month, 44, this, did you know this Friday, 44 years. In the first few years, I was a perfectionist. God had to root that out of me, see. And for him to do that, I had to say, God, I want everything just right. And if it ain't right, I want to tear something up, either physically or with my words. And he had to deal with me. And you know what helped me through that? I started talking to him about it, and he started ministering to me. And, uh, and he helped me work through that. So I'm a recovering perfectionist. Workaholic tendencies were in my life, in my young years. I never felt good about me unless I was co- accomplishing things. How do you know if you're a workaholic? And this is in my blog posts last week. Go listen to them. Uh, if you're a work, oh, no, it's in my, uh, oh, 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 it's in my, uh, not blog, it's in my uh, um, podcast. So I did that last week, and I think they're being played this week on Tuesday and Thursday. But a workaholic cannot rest because if they try to be silent, quiet, and inactive, they're uncomfortable with themselves, and they feel like they have no personal value. When I was a young person, I felt like I had no personal value when I tried to take a day off or when I tried to take a vacation. All I could think about was accomplishing things. And if I wasn't accomplishing things and life was quiet, I didn't feel good about me. And it was my, it was the way I thought about me. And God had to change that. So I had workaholic tendencies. And a lot of people have that. A lot of men and women have that. If you can't be quiet, if you can't take a break and, or you're ill at ease, you may be a workaholic and you get your good self, sense of self out of accomplishment. Jesus wants to change that. He wants to become your complete satisfaction in life. So so that regardless of whether you're busy or where you're inactive, you know who you are in Jesus. And you know know you're loved, you know you're cared for, you know you have value, you know you have worth, and you, you you know your life is worthwhile because of him, not because of what you do, right? So all this come in the presence of Jesus. A deep-seated fear of rejection when I was young, and I don't have time to tell the stories. I got rejected by so frequently because I started school at age five, and then I skipped a grade in school and took grades six, uh, grades seven and eight in the same year, and that put me several years behind all of my peers. And I just it did something in me, and it, it, this fear of rejection, and people would pick on me mercilessly and kids aren't nice sometimes you know I had to work through all that where did that happen in the presence of God when the pressures of life came I get on my face and talk to him how many hear what I'm saying so pour your heart out uh, in the pressurized times of life for me I've always gone on walks wherever whatever you got to do to be by yourself for me I like to be active so I'd get off by myself and I'd go for a walk and I would just say God I got to talk this is bothering me. That's bothering me. Listen to Psalm C. Everybody okay? I'm going to read these and I'm going to stop. Psalm 61, 1 through 5. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth will I cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed. Your heart ever felt overwhelmed? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me. A strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. So again, there's just something about getting into the presence of God. I'll read a couple of more of these and I'll be done. Um, Psalm 34, 17 through 19. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. 
He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You ever felt that way? The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Uh, Psalm 34, listen to this. I prayed to the Lord, he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all of my troubles for the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you as godly people, for those who fear him will have a have all they need. That word fear means a deep respect for. Even strong lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. So again, Isaiah 40, have you heard? Have you uh, never understood the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. And young men will fall in exhaustion. Those who trust, and King James says, wait on the Lord will find new strength. They'll uh, soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. There's just something about getting in the presence of God and pouring out your heart. I'm telling you, it'll bring an inward strength that you can't find anywhere else. If you feel like you don't have a confidant and someone that you can confide in that won't spill the beans that you've shared with them with everybody else, you can always trust God. And you can start there. And I learned to trust that the Lord would minister to me and let me say anything I needed to say just to vent the pressure. When I did that and he ministered his word to me and the Holy Spirit ministered me, it taught me also that, and then the Lord brought into my life people that I could uh, trust and, and, um, and know that they wouldn't, you know, talk about the particulars that perhaps I shared with them. So everybody needs a good friend. Start with God. He's the friend that steps closer than a brother. I know this is a little strange, but I'm going to do it. I sing a lot, and I sing to the Lord. And uh, singing's in my family. I come from a family of people that like to sing, so I sing, and I sing to the Lord. Uh, when I was in Bible school, the first one was in 1977. And there was this young man from Bishopville, South Carolina. Anybody ever heard of Bishopville? And his name was Tebow Ellen. And he was just a cool guy. He played the guitar. And he would get songs from the Lord. And he was reading Psalm 61 one day. And God, and God turned it into a song for him. I heard him play that. I never forgot it all these years. And in my private times, I sing it to the Lord. And I'm going to end the service tonight with that. Is that all right with you? And it has three stanzas to it. It's Psalm 61, 1 through 5. From the ends of the earth will I cry unto you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In your tabernacle will I abide. I will trust in the shadow of your wings. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me 
and a strong tower from the enemy. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of your name. So lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me and a tall, strong tower from the enemy. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Would you lift your hands? Lord, I pray tonight that there would be a change in every person. That those of us who have been stoic, who have stuffed our emotions, who have not been honest with our hearts towards you. Lord, I ask you for each one of us, may we sense you beckoning us and calling us to go away to a private place. It may be a solitude, a, a walk where we're alone and have solitude. It may be a place where we go Nobody else can hear us. We may have to go to the bathroom, turn the fan on at home because we got kids, whatever it is. I ask you for every person in this room, bring us to a place that we can pour our heart out to you and tell you what we think and how we feel and allow you to brush the fears and hardships of life away and minister life. In Jesus' name. Come on, lift your hands. Bless you, sir. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lord, minister to every life as we go in Jesus' name.